So we'll read 1 through 6 out of John 10. So truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. One of the things I want to point out for those of us here, um, sometimes uh, these, originally when the, when the Bible was originally written, um, there weren't chapter breaks, there were not verses, they just wrote these books. And uh, somebody came along and they put these chapter breaks and verses because it allows us to be able to find things much easier. But sometimes they kind of get in the way a little bit of the flow of thought. And what I wanted to just say initially this morning is this, is John 10 is not weeks later, it's not a month later, it's the same day as Jesus finding the man outside the temple. He comes to faith, same day he's been excommunicated. Jesus is continuing this conversation that he has had uh, with the religious leaders on this day that the man who had formerly been blind, has now has his sight. And so this is one complete flowing thought, and Jesus is going to dominate uh, this conversation. He has much to say, and it contrasts what we've seen in chapter 9. Chapter 9, they were really bad shepherds and, and leaders. A man has had a miracle happen to him. That morning he woke up, same thing that had happened since the very day that he was born. He could not see But now he can see. So a touch and a miracle of God has happened in his body. And what ends up, because he won't fall in line with what the religious leaders want him to affirm, they have excommunicated him out of synagogue life, out of temple life. Jesus finds him somewhere outside the temple. Jesus brings salvation to the man's life. He believes, he acknowledges that Jesus is the Lord. And he believes And then Jesus makes a statement. If you look at the end of of John 9 and verse 38, uh, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And so Jesus out loud said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Near him were Pharisees. They were listening to what Jesus said. And so some of those near him heard these things. And so they said to Jesus, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to him, if you, them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so Jesus is responding to what they have just said. We're not blind. We see, we understand things. And so Jesus is going to address this all through John 10. And he's going to set forth for us what he is like as the good shepherd. And he's going to clearly portray How you and I can know what false shepherds sound like, what they look like, what they do, what they affirm. And the best way to do that is to see who the shepherd is. And so the majority of our time today will be spent on 
looking at what Jesus says about himself as the good shepherd. And so, so he makes this great contrast um, in the text here. They have made great claims, the religious leaders, about being these guides, great spiritual guides. But Jesus has told them that they're actually blind spiritual guides and that they are not leading the people to the right direction. And again, the evidence of that is how they led this man who should have, they should have embraced him. They should have pulled him in and said, let's teach you, let's help you. Instead, they have cast him out. I read a story when I wrote this a couple of months ago, putting this together about a classroom where there were two men who one guy was a great orator he could he could really speak and he could memorize things and he could speak in such a way that moved people and so he was going to quote Psalm 23 and then he had a friend who was much older than him and he was going to after him quote Psalm 23 and the first man who was this great orator and speaker and knew how to give inflection he quoted Psalm 23, and after it was over with, everybody in the classroom just clapped. Um, so he sat down, and the room kind of got quiet, and this old man walked up to the podium, and he quoted Psalm chapter 23, and when he was done, there was just a silence in the room, and you could look at the people there, and there were people in deep reflection, and the orator got up, and he said this, there's a difference in what you have heard today. I know psalm 23 but the man who just got up here he knows the shepherd of psalm 23 and that's the critical nature for us today it is easy to know about things of christ but the issue comes down do we know christ and so christ is going to portray that for us today in a unique way so what I want to start off, first point this morning is, is I want to talk about and remind us that Jesus establishes truth. And that's the first point. He comes back to these words that he has said multiple times in John's gospel. So if you look at verse 1, the first part he said, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now this is a phrase that Christ repeats often in John's gospel. And what he's doing is he's establishing something, he's about to say something, that is to be embraced. It is to be followed. It's not to be questioned. It's going, it's going to be necessary for us to understand. And so what he's going to put forth today is, is that how do we know that Christ is the good shepherd? And how do we know these other teachers that come around sometimes within the world and realm of Christianity, that they're not fully necessarily always telling the truth? And so this is a call from Christ for you and I as believers to be alert to always be listening to what's being taught, what's being said, so that we can discern what's being presented to us. Is it true? Is it biblical? Is it accurate? Does it fall in line with the rest of Scripture? And so, so Jesus is pointing us to know and follow genuinely who the shepherd is. This is not a new warning. In the Old Testament, this warning came from the prophets, often to the people. And, often, and sometimes it came from from to from God to the prophet to the leaders the religious leaders and the priests and the way that they were shepherding and teaching and taking care of the people one of the critical things that is important for us in these days around us is that we have an ability by the work of the spirit to recognize and discern for the church in our day what is false and what is true that is just absolutely critical 
And that is a big part of the heart of what Jesus is going to teach here in John chapter 10. For the last 2,000 years, this has been the case. There have been accurate biblical teachers and there have been false teachers who have come along. This is a narrow, very, very, very narrow entrance into the kingdom of God. It's not wide. It is very narrow. It is singular. There are not multiple doors. There is one door that we have to enter into. Let me remind us of what Jesus said. This is Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by it. For the gate is wide and the way is easy, but it leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. So the majority of people are going to enter this wide gate. It's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to separation. And so Jesus says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. But it leads to life. It doesn't lead to destruction. So it's worth the cost to walk and to follow and walk in obedience. But those who find it, Jesus said, are few. And so let's be the few. Let's listen to what he has to say and enter into the right way. So they are continuing to maintain their stance, the religious leaders, in regard to not wanting to listen and embrace what Jesus is teaching. They have declared his words as false and they would, um, are, are continuing to teach other ways of entering the kingdom of God. And all of them will not allow them to enter because they're teaching and affirming people to not enter through Christ. And I think it's absolutely important before we begin to look at the nature of the shepherd for me to say this. We must, as a church, in our culture today as things continue to disintegrate around us, as there continues to be pressure on the things that we stand for, that we refuse to teach any other thing other than there is a singular entrance that is only through the door of Christ. And we will refuse all other teachings, all other things that say that you can get to God, you can get to heaven by any other way. So I have a door. It's in front of the cross. This is not sacrilegious. This is absolutely biblical. It's a beautiful picture. Because the doorway to salvation comes through the cross. It comes through the one who hung on the cross. And Jesus is going to teach about that all through John chapter 10. And so we're going to leave this up along the way. Uh, I think we've got five weeks in John chapter 10. Uh, we're, I'm going to put some words up here. We'll put just one phrase up here uh, today to kind of highlight highlight. Um, why Christ is the door um, to salvation. He's the doorway to sanctification and our growth. And he's the doorway all the way until we get to heaven. So let's go to the second point this morning. And let's talk about the warning that is connected to false shepherds. So the next part of verse 1, Jesus says, As truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, That man is a thief and a robber. So Jesus, notice this, is telling us, how do you know who's the true good shepherd and who is not the true good shepherd? And it's by the entryway points. It's by communicating how you get in and how one comes. And so Jesus says those who climb up and go through a window or they climb over the wall and they don't come straight forth through the door and make themselves known and available this is who i am 
That's how you know whether you've got a false teacher or you've got the true teacher, the true shepherd, the true door, and that's Jesus. Now, I'm guessing today, because I was in here, that nobody came into this room through these windows up here today. we got three windows here. We've got some windows on the side here. I didn't notice anybody getting ladders, getting up on the roof, trying to come in. If you tried to come in up these windows today, we would have yelled at you. We would have sent somebody up, scurrying up after you to say, get down, you're going to hurt yourself, and we're going to try to catch you as you come down, and you're going to hurt us. And that is the picture that Jesus is giving. Those who enter in any kind of way, except through the door, way of Christ, every other way, that person, Jesus said, is a thief and a robber. They are not coming in, making themselves clearly known. You see this in our lifetime. We have all seen this if you've been in and around Christianity at all. There are those who have another agenda than the glory of Christ when they preach. Their ministry is not connected to the honor of Christ. It is connected to their selfish ambition and their vain conceit and what they can get out of shepherding and leading people. And much of what is taught at times in some of those places is not biblically accurate and so Christ here is saying this I'm giving you a warning to notice what a false shepherd is and what the true good shepherd truly is and it is connected to the entrance of the true shepherd now if we were to go back 2,000 years ago in the first century and we were to observe for we could walk around for a month and we could watch sheep and shepherds we would see this if shepherds were near a town, um, there would be a barn in that town. There would be a place in that town that, that maybe four to six shepherds would bring their sheep and they would all stay in the same place. They would hire out someone at nighttime as the shepherds slept to watch over the sheep. They are called a gatekeeper or a doorkeeper. Or a, um, we'll, we'll talk next week about a hireling that is, um, that, that is mentioned there. And so the shepherd would go home, he would sleep, he would get up in the morning, he would come back, he would call his sheep to him, and and then he would take them and they would go out again. But sometimes up in the mountains, the shepherd was not, he was the shepherd, but he was also the gatekeeper and doorkeeper because he was up there by himself, there wasn't anybody to hire out as he rested, and he would lay across the the doorway in this threshold. Sometimes also, um, in the first century, you you would have high walls, You would have an entryway, a solid entryway, but you would have walls that were higher. And so the gatekeeper or the shepherd would have to watch to see if anyone tried to climb over, get a sheep, um, pass it off outside to somebody else to steal it, or if a predator, a lion, would come in and try to attack the sheep. And so the shepherd um, had a a big duty, a lot of big duties and a lot of big things uh, that he needed to do to watch out. But it was deeply connected, Jesus setting forth here, that our understanding needs to come, is looking at Christ, how did he enter into the world? Why is he the true door? Why is he the true good shepherd? True shepherds only enter the sheepfold one way, and that's the door. They come right in to the door where the sheep are. They don't climb over a wall. They don't sneak in through a window. They don't do anything like that. 
So why is this language so important for us? Why does Jesus now shift the conversation from the healing of the blind man and is communicating to the religious leaders that they are blind and they cannot see? Why is this so important? Well, he's wanting to highlight for us the illogical choice that is connected to not embracing him as the good shepherd. Not listening to his voice, but listening to other voices and trying to sneak your way in by your own effort into the kingdom of God. By the way, that cannot be done. No matter how much somebody wants to try to sneak in, no matter how much somebody wants to be good enough, we cannot, we must come through the doorway of the shepherd. So how did Jesus enter into the world and why can we trust that he is the good shepherd? Well, I have good news and it's the same thing that we talk about over and over and over at this church. The Old Testament writers wrote about who? Who's coming? Jesus is, right? So when Christ entered into the world, guess how he entered into the world? As a fulfillment of written Old Testament Scripture. That's why he is uniquely the doorway to salvation. Let me just remind us of some of these things. The Old Testament writers told us beforehand what the shepherd would be like, what would happen to him, what, he, what experiences he would have. So let me just share some of those. We are told the uniqueness of his birth and where it would occur in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. We were told in Isaiah 7 that he would be born of a virgin. We were told in Isaiah 9 that he would be a king who would be called Emmanuel, and he would be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. We know that Elijah, John the Baptist, would be a forerunner, and would come first from Malachi chapter 4. The Old Testament prophets wrote that he would be called out of Egypt. That's Hosea 11 verse 1. Psalm 2 tells us that he would be called God's son. Zechariah 11, 12 and 13 tell us that he will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Psalm 110 tells us that he would be greater than David. And 2 Samuel 7 says he would be a descendant from David. He would be the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He would be in, in Numbers 21. He would be the serpent that was lifted up. He would be the one. He was the Messiah lifted up. In Ruth 4, we are told that he is the kinsman redeemer. Isaiah 53 tells us that he would suffer. He would be a suffering servant and Messiah. Isaiah 35 tells us that he would do miracles of healing. He would be a light to the nations in Isaiah 42. And he would be the object of a murder when he was a child, according to Jeremiah 31, 15. And I could go on and on this morning. How did he enter the world? How was he the true shepherd? He entered the world to be the shepherd in the fulfillment of written scripture. That's why we can trust the Bible. It is the great revelation to us of God. And so um, what I want to put up on the wall or the door, is I want to put up the, the, one of the unique things about Jesus as the doorway and Jesus as the good shepherd is that he came as the fulfillment of Scripture. So everything that they wrote, it came to be true. 2,000 years ago, all of these writings about who the Messiah was going to be, they were fulfilled in Jesus. 
And if somebody were to say, well, I don't affirm all of that, well, I'll just say this. In the last 2,000 years, there has been no one who has fulfilled all of those Old Testament scriptures. They were fulfilled 2,000 years ago in the life of Christ. And so Jesus, watch, he becomes the only door in which we have salvation and know God as the good shepherd. And this is that he is the door of the fulfillment of scripture. He satisfies all of these things written in the Old Testament about who he is. And so they showed us, the writers did, this is how he would come. This is what he would do. This is what he would say. And so the big point of Jesus' words here in John chapter 10 is that they wrote of how he would come and Jesus walked through the front door and he fulfilled all of that in front of the people. But as religious leaders looked at him, they're like, oh no, you're false. We don't embrace what you have to say. We're rejecting who you are. But he came through the front door and he made it clearly known exactly who he is. And because of this truth, we can have, again, great confidence in the scripture that has come to us. God the Father wants us to know the Son. And the easiest way that we see this and best way and affirming way that we see this is through this written testimony of Christ in the Old Testament, now fulfilled in the New Testament in the person of Jesus. He came and entered through the front door of the Scripture. And so in light of that truth, it reveals that Jesus is not a thief. He's not a robber. He didn't scurry up a wall and crawl in. He didn't sneak through a window. He came through the front door in the fulfillment of Scripture to make himself known. Now, the Pharisees were known for taking liberties with the Scripture, taking away and adding to the Scripture. And in doing so, they proved that they were what? Thieves and robbers. Calling people away from trusting in the Messiah who was now in their midst. And there's a great point here that I want to touch on. It's a good one for children. It's an important one for students who are in the room today. Every one of us, adults all the way down to the youngest person in the room, we allow people into our lives and they're going to come into our life either through the front door, letting us know genuinely who they are, or they will sneak in secretively in our life, and they will not have our best interest at heart. So therefore, we must consistently evaluate those people in our lives. Are they speaking to us to build us up? Or are they attempting to take away and distract us from truly knowing Christ? And those who climb over the wall into our life and they sneak in and they've got a secret agenda we should just not listen to those people because they do not have godliness and righteousness um, at the heart of what they want for our lives and in this relationship we want people who come through the front door and who say look i don't have it all together but i'd like to know you as a friend i want to be in your life i want you to be in my life and let's do this together but let's be open and honest with one another and let's allow the basis of the truth of the scripture to guide this relationship and so we must consistently do this and so they reject the religious leaders are rejecting jesus and they think that there's another way that you can get into the kingdom of heaven and they are going to continue to affirm that and re reject jesus and you do not get into the kingdom if you reject jesus yeah but i'm good 
So what? Yeah, but I give a lot of money. But I'm nice. I'm kind. We do not enter into the kingdom of heaven if we don't go through the doorway of Christ. And the assurance is connected that he is the doorway and proved and affirmed as the fulfillment of Scripture. Well, let's go to the next point now that I think is important. And so what Jesus is going to do as we get to verse 2, he's going to begin to describe himself. I've never worked at a bank. Preachers like to use this illustration. I hear people, um, tellers at banks, they don't give them counterfeit money to study. What, what do they give them? They give them the real thing. You want to know what a real dollar, they, they, they want them to know what a real dollar is. And so what Jesus is going to do, he's going to, he's going to tell us this is what a real shepherd looks like who's the heavenly shepherd and the only true shepherd of the sheep. This is, this is who he is like. And there are six really critical things that Jesus sets forth for us here about who he is as the, as the true shepherd and us understanding his nature. And let's look at the first one. Six critical pieces. Number one is this. The true shepherd, his nature is, is that he enters by the door. And by doing so, he is and indicates he is the shepherd of the sheep. And so look at verse 2, first part there. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. What does this mean? It means this, that when Christ came into the world, he clearly made himself known. In his works and his words and the things that he did, how he lived his life, he he came in Front door, full view for everybody to see. You can look at my modems. You can, you can examine my words. You can look at my works, Jesus told people. And then he's arrested. And he's going to be crucified in a matter of hours. And he's standing before the high priest. And I want you to go to John 18. Turn over about eight chapters. And I want to show you something that the high priest and Jesus talk about. John eighteen nineteen. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In other words, he makes himself clearly known. There's no secrets. He's not sneaking in over the wall. In John 18, 19, look what it says here. So the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have never said anything in secret. So why are you asking me? Ask those who heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. So Jesus clearly saying this. I'm not a thief and a robber. I didn't sneak into Israel. I came into the synagogues. Y'all heard me teach in the temple. Um, Other people heard me um, by the seashore. I taught in a boat. I taught on a mountainside. I taught people can clearly tell you what I've said. And And I think one of the reasons he's saying this is that the religious leaders had heard him teach as well. So they, they know what he said. And you know this, that later on after this, John 18, 19, and 20, they can't find anybody to give proof that he had ever done anything wrong and ever said anything wrong. And so what do they have to do? They have to lie, right? They get these people to kind of make up something. Well, he said he would destroy the temple in three days and raise it up again. And 
Jesus was obviously referring to himself as the ultimate temple, and, and, but they were thinking this magnificent thing that, that Herod had rebuilt. And so he, he was totally open, clear, and honest about who he is. And I think one of the unique things that the Gospel of John does is it reveals the personal nature of Jesus. And his personal nature is amazing. Let me remind us of that just from the Gospel of John. Andrew, Jesus was walking by one day, one day and, and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew and another guy start following Jesus. And Jesus just stops and goes, Hey, what do you guys want? Hey, where are you staying? And Jesus says, Y'all come on. Philip in John 1.43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Come and follow me. Come and you will see. In John chapter 3, he has this unique encounter with a man named Nicodemus. And he challenges him and he causes him to think about a second birth. In John chapter 4, there's this amazing story of this broken, broken woman who had given her life in all kinds of ways and messed up her life. And Jesus just tenderly one day says, hey, will you give me a drink? And he enters into a conversation with her. Don't tell me God is not personal when he can love a Samaritan woman like that who's just, who just messed her life up with bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. She goes back into town after that, if you remember, and brings the whole town out. Come see a guy who told me everything I'd ever done. Right after that, they meet a royal official who says, come back with me to my town about 20 miles away and heal my son. And Jesus says, I don't need to come back. He's going to be all right. You just go home. And so he tenderly speaks to this man. He meets a man in John chapter 5 who's paralyzed 38 years. That's a long time not walking. And he's waiting to get into some water that an angel had stirred and Jesus comes along and says, that water's not helping you. You want to be healed? Rise up, take up your mat, and go. In John chapter 8, a woman is caught in the very act of adultery. They drag her into the temple. And Jesus stood up and said to her after he'd scattered all the leaders, Woman, where are they? Has nobody condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you you go and leave your life of sin and then in john chapter 9 jesus encounters a man born blind and he heals him he enters by the door and he makes himself clear and he's deeply personal and all across this room there could be people stand up and say he met me when i was 15 he met me when i was 28 he met me when i was 40 and he changed my life and boy, this is what I was like. And the beauty of God 
as the shepherd, Christ as the shepherd, is he came to make himself known. He came through the front door. He wasn't doing this secretively. He was just saying, this is who I am. And then the apostles, when they got it after the resurrection, they went all over the world. And we today, in 2021, on this March Sunday, we are doing the same thing that's been taking place for 2,000 years. There is an almighty God that we cannot, He's infinite, He's way beyond our comprehension, and yet He's so personal, so loving, so tender to people like you and I calling us, coming through saying, this is who I am, and I'm inviting you, sinner, to come to know me in a relationship, and I'm calling you by name to me. He enters, and as He enters the world by the door, He is the shepherd of the sheep. Another way we could just say that is, He comes near. He comes near. So this is a clear warning from Christ. To be concerned about the entrance, to examine the entrance of people in our lives, of teachers in Christianity, but it's also a clear affirmation about Christ's entrance into the world. That we embrace who He is and how He came in the fulfillment of Scripture. Let's look at the second principle of the true nature of the Good Shepherd. To Him, it says... In the first part of verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. So let's talk about the gatekeeper just for a moment. Again, if we could go back to um, the first century, we would see that sheep pens at times were caves. Um, They were barns. Some of them were made with really strong walls. But there was always one passageway, a front door to get inside. And they were designed this way so that they could manage the, the sheep and the animals that came in and out, and it allowed entrance for the shepherd to come in and to look at and take care of the sheep. Shepherding was tough work, tough work, long days. And if the shepherd stayed near town, they could, during the night, they could, or during the end of the day, they could bring them in, put them in a barn-type place, and then they could go home, see their family, and spend time, and they would hire someone called a gatekeeper. And so the gatekeeper would during the night as the shepherd was sleeping and resting is they would make sure that no one climbed over a wall, no one came in and tried to, to uh, steal the sheep or do any harm to the sheep. And so the gatekeeper was hired and was used to be someone to make sure that only legitimate shepherds could come near to the sheep. And so therefore, how would a gatekeeper know who a legitimate shepherd was? had to have a relationship, had to know who the shepherds were. And so the shepherds, sometimes they would gather together, they would have the same gatekeeper that they would hire, and they would pay to take care of the sheep during the nighttime. And so the gatekeeper would watch, is anybody trying to climb over the wall? Is there anybody trying to do anything? And so he would sometimes lay lay down on the ground. They would literally lay down on the ground. So if the sheep decided if there wasn't a real door that was there, there was just a, a doorway a frame, if the sheep tried to get over them, they would step on the gatekeeper, and the gatekeeper would wake up, and he would get the sheep back inside, and this was the unique role of that. But I think we have to ask the question, who is the gatekeeper scripturally? Well, I believe that the, the Bible is, is pretty clear about that. I don't, I don't think the, the son is hiring the father to be the gatekeeper. So who's the gatekeeper? I think the gatekeeper originally was the prophets in the Old Testament who spoke to the nation the words of God when the nation went out astray and called them back. I think in the New Testament, 
I think it's the apostles. I think throughout church history, there have been multiple leaders, pastors, elders, um, people of this nature who have been uh, the gatekeepers asked to care for the sheep that the good shepherd or the shepherd owns these. And I think that also comes down to us. We are also gatekeepers. We are the ones who want to protect and take care of the sheep. And I want to pause just for a moment to talk about my life for a second. One of my, one of my deep fears in my own heart of knowing me really well is that I would do this job for my selfish gain. And it's always been one of those things where I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want this to be about me. I don't ever want this to be about um, any kind of gain for me. And what I've got to do, and this is what the gatekeeper would do, in the morning when the shepherd would come, guess what the gatekeeper had to do? He had to get out of the way. Because the sheep inside the pen didn't belong to the gatekeeper. They belonged to the shepherd. And so he had to... He had to stay up all night he had to give of his time he had to sacrifice but the sheep were not his they belonged to the shepherd so when the shepherd came and he wanted to call out the sheep the gatekeeper had to get out of the way so if you're a youth leader a children's leader you are a life group leader you are just a or you're an elder or you're just a church member because you know that's just a church member that's not a very important thing yes it is a very important thing all of us become gatekeepers for this reason this is not about us. Life point is not about me. It's not about an elder. It's not about a life group leader. This is about His glory, the Good Shepherd. You are, you are, I'm an under shepherd. You are His. You are the sheep of His pasture. I'm a sheep of His pasture. And so when He wants to call under shepherds, we get out of the way so that Christ is exalted. And so, so watch this. The gatekeeper knows the shepherd, and so he knows when the shepherd comes and he wants to communicate to the sheep, then he, or he wants to call the sheep, then he can do that because he's the shepherd, he's the owner of the sheep. And we must practice, as Christ did, humility, deep, deep humility. I've been incredibly blown away. So I'm, I'm all the way in John chapter 13 writing sermons. I've just written the first two sections of John chapter 13 where the creator of the universe washed people's feet. And I have just been unbelievably just, I, I don't know what the, I don't even know what the word is, crushed by the weight of the humility of King Jesus. I, I, I don't get, I, don't, I just don't fully grasp how low the king stooped to bear our sin and to serve us. It is staggering. And so we must get out of the way. This is about Jesus. And our role is to fight against any kind of person, thinking, teaching, that crawls over the wall and tries to sneak in. We look to the one who came through the front door who is the fulfillment of Scripture and we trust what he has to say. Here's the third principle about the true nature 
of the shepherd. His voice is very distinctive. So to him, the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. I find this incredibly fascinating. So every morning, the shepherd would come, the gatekeeper would get out of the way, and there would be four to six flock of sheep inside a holding area. And the shepherd would be outside, and he would stand outside, and he would call, and he would have a unique call. And I don't know what that call would sound like, like, I don't know whatever he says. I don't know what it is. He would make a sound, and the sheep inside know this. Yeah, that's the sound I know. That's the shepherd's voice. Now watch this. In the midst of maybe 200 sheep sometimes would be in a holding area. The 50 inside that belonged to that shepherd, you know what they did? They worked their way through the rest of the sheep. They walked out the front door and they walked directly to their shepherd. You know what all the other sheep inside did? They stayed. Why? Because that's a stranger's voice. And they're not going to go out until they hear the voice of their shepherd. And I can't think of anything more important in these days than we as God's people to be ever in tune with the voice of God. Our culture is so full of lies. Sometimes they sound good in our human flesh. And we can get caught up in the lie. And if our ear is not tuned to knowing the master's voice, we'll buy into it. And we'll follow a, a false shepherd and follow a stranger. See, the sheep have been raised and cared for by a single person, the shepherd. And when they hear his voice, they respond. And members of other flocks, they don't come because they don't recognize that voice. But his own sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd. And so they come out and they come near. And so Jesus says, listen, the sheep hear my voice. To them, it was undeniable, undeniable in whom they belonged, who they heard, and they would come out to him. And as the darkness and brokenness of our culture and lawlessness, by the way, extreme lawlessness dominating our culture today, complete disregard for life through abortion and through many other things. The church is, at large has lost its way through progressive Christianity and other things. So that those like you and I, we must deeply tune our heart to the voice of Jesus and know it. So that we know the shepherd and more we know the shepherd, the more we recognize his voice. And so we line up with the truth and we reject lies. We line up with the truth and we reject lies. So let me ask this question and we'll move on to the fourth principle of the true shepherd. Are we listening to him alone and rejecting all other voices that would call us away from him? The true shepherd's voice is distinctive, and the more we know him, the more we will recognize it. Third part of verse 3 is the fourth principle of the true shepherd. The true shepherd knows the names of the sheep. We have two dogs at our house. One... 
I wanted mostly when it was a puppy and then one we have inherited from our oldest daughter and they've got names they get you don't name them necessarily eventually but after maybe a couple hours or a day or so you're like okay this dog acts this way this cat acts this way so you kind of give a name that's kind of connected and and so we've got rufus i have no idea why he's rufus but he's rufus and then we've got summer and she is bright sunshine animal shepherds were the same way they knew from hoof to ear every aspect of every sheep that they had they knew their characteristics watched them and in time the shepherd gave them names so one might have a spot he was called spot or spotty or whatever one might walk crooked and and it might have a name. And, and so the shepherd knew intimately, and he named every single sheep. So that he knew at nighttime when they would enter, and he would look at them, he would say, Spot, step aside, got to check on you. And he would name them. They would recognize the name. They recognized his voice. And he knew their names. Coming on the heels of John chapter 9 and the religious leader's response to the former blind man, I guarantee you they didn't ask his name. But I guarantee you when Jesus found him outside the temple, he asked him, hey, what's your name, sir? And he got his name, and I think Jesus used his name. And the reason I know Jesus used his name is because the good shepherd knows the names of his sheep. Can I just, not can I, I am going to, Proclaim something amazing. Christ, the Almighty God, preexistent, coexistent, Alpha and Omega, knows your name. Right now, in this room, He knows your name. If you are His, He knows your name. And that is amazing to think about. And that He, that he knows who we are, He knows where we are, and, and it's a staggering thought that Jesus knows our name. As a matter of fact, also the Bible tells us that believers' names are written in a book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And these names that we have were written before the foundation of the world. That's according to Ephesians 1.4 and Revelation 13.8. He knows so much about us. He knows how many hairs we have or how many we don't have. He knows it. He knows everything about us. And then there's this amazing thing that when we get to heaven, we're going to get a new name. Our parents here name us. But when we get to heaven, we're going to get a new name. And it's a name that Jesus gives us. And I'm not making this up. These are Jesus' words in Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. I have grown up, and I am... 55 years old, young, and I have had to explain my name my whole life. My, I don't hate my name, but I will explain my name until I breathe no more. 
where'd you get the name? What, what's that from? And, and my name has been mispronounced my whole life. Some of you may relate to that, except for people like John. You don't have to explain your name in Matthew. Listen to this. Back in the day in the first century, if you invited a guest over, the host sometimes would take a white stone and underneath the stone they would write a message and they would set it in the seat so that when you came over for dinner, you would take the stone and you would turn it over and there would be a message and it was a message of friendship and intimacy with the person who had been invited. There's this amazing reality is that Christ is going to return. And there's going to be a banqueting feast. It's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And eventually we will get to heaven and we're going to, we're going to get a stone, Jesus said, with a new name written on it. You see, here parents get to name us. When we get to heaven, Jesus names us. Is that not amazing? Listen to what Jesus said. And he calls his own sheep by name. By name, he knows us. Let's look at the fifth principle of the true shepherd. The true shepherd leads the sheep out. So we have to ask a question. We have to deal with this because it's important. You may have wondered it. What does the sheepfold represent? What does the sheepfold represent? Well, it's not the church. He's not calling people out of the church to himself he's calling them out from something to himself this relationship so what's he calling them out from i think for the jews he's calling them out of judaism go to verse uh 16 of john 10 go down there so i think when it says this he leads them out he calls them out he's calling them out of the sheepfold i think one for the jews he's calling them out of judaism to christ and then in verse 16 and i have other sheep that are not of this fold not of judaism And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. What is that representing? The Gentile nations, the nations. So he's going to call, he's calling the Jews out of Judaism, the system that was not going to save them, calling them to himself. And then he's calling the nations, these other people, Gentile groups, he's calling them to himself so that there will be one flock made up of Jews and Gentiles, one family, one body, one Lord, one baptism in doing this. And so, so this is what he's doing. So he calls them out. In, in some ways, this miracle that Jesus did in the man's life kind of thrust him out when they rejected him and, and cast him out of the temple. Jesus found him and, and saved him. But notice here, he's calling them out. And then it says this, he leads them out. He's speaking and the true sheep hear the voice they because that's the voice of their shepherd they come out they follow christ in salvation and so this is what is happening here he is calling them out and he is leading them and so these words no doubt would have been a strong rebuke by jesus concerning how they had treated the man they had cast him out instead of leading him and helping him to live a more righteous life. He leads us from darkness into the light. Let me just read a, three more verses before we close with our last point today. 
Psalm 100 verse 3 says this, Know that He is the Lord. He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd, and He will gather the lambs in His arms, and He will carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those that are with young Psalm 95, verse 7, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. He calls them out, and he leads us. And when he calls us out in relationship, and he leads us, here's the last point this morning, he goes before us. So he, he, he leads and walks ahead And we follow. That's how it works. He's the master. We follow. Now I, for about the last 25 years now, I've been studying and researching Psalm chapter 23. It's my favorite, favorite chapter of the Old Testament. And the depth of that chapter is amazing. And one of the things I came to know early on in my study, if you were to notice American shepherds, they are behind the sheep, driving the sheep. You go to the eastern part of the world, the shepherds are always out in front leading the sheep. The sheep aren't seen as dollar signs. They're seen more as dollar signs here, but in the eastern part of the world, they are seen as, I'm in relationship, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to lay my life down for you, and, and I'm going to do this. And so when the shepherd, it says, look at verse 4, and when he has brought out all of his own, and he will bring out all of his own, those who are truly his, nobody will ever be left behind. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I have three closing statements here. One is this, he brings out all his own. This word in the Greek, bring out, is ekbal, and it means this, He has to get them out of the sheepfold and to himself. And it's a word that indicates work. And what that means is this. It's difficult for some people to repent, to let go of their old way and to move forward and come at the call of Christ. And so at times it's work, praying, sowing, talking, praying, sowing, talking. He brings out all his own. Not everybody's going to enter the kingdom of God. But no one who will actually enter the family of God will ever be left behind. Those who are his sheep, they will enter and he will bring out all his own. And this is an absolute guarantee according to Christ here. When he calls the sheep from Judaism and when he calls the sheep from the nations, of the Gentiles, those who are his sheep, he will bring them all out. How do we know that? Because we see it in Revelation. Every nation, every language, every tribe, every people group, there are people before the throne of God worshiping. So eventually, guess what happens? The Great Commission gets finished. The gospel is going to eventually get to every people group, every language, and every tribe, and he will bring out all his own. Secondly, he will lead them. He goes before them. He goes ahead of His redeemed people to clear the way, to get them to water, to get them to green pastures. He prepares the table before them in the presence of the enemies. 
He goes before to fight our battles. He protects us even as He provides for us. He goes before us in the process of our sanctification as we move toward our final glorification where we will be as He is. And since this is true, that Jesus says here, I will go before you as the great shepherd, it means this, in everything that we face, He is already there. Already there. Does it mean that He's going to just make life smooth and it's not going to have pain? Absolutely not. But it means this, that He's going to be present. And that's one of the greatest things that He can give us. So He is the first to arrive at a place that is challenging, that is trying and testing of our faith. And it indicates the saying that we often say, He's got this and He's got this because He's already there. He's already there. We are never alone. We are never abandoned. For this He promised. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. For His name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me. He's leading. He guides me in paths of righteousness. And then he's at work, and he follows us. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And eventually, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. So he calls the sheep out that are his, and he will get all of them out. He goes before them. He leads them. And he and the sheep respond by like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you because I know your voice. They follow because they know his voice. And when he is brought out of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Do you and I know his voice today? Is it distinctive? Is it clear to you and I? There was a man who was arrested in Australia and he was charged with stealing a sheep. But he claimed over and over, no, that sheep's mine. It's been missing for many days. That sheep belongs to me. Well, the case eventually couldn't get solved, and it went all the way to court. And as things were presented, the judge was puzzled. He didn't know what to do. What do I do? And so at last he said, go get the sheep and bring the sheep to the courtroom. So they went and got the sheep. They brought the sheep to the courtroom. And they ordered the first man to go out and stand in the hallway and he went out there and he called the sheep and it lifted its head and was frightened because the voice calling it was not the shepherd the defendant went out and he called that sheep and it bounded as fast as it could into the arms of the shepherd and the judge was like okay case is settled let me ask this question as we finish when is the last time for me and for you, that you bounded toward Jesus when he spoke. 
You left all, the, all voices behind and you just ran to him. Leave the voice of your pain. Life is painful and pain has got a voice. Our culture has a voice. Our government has a voice. Spouse has a voice that may call us to not walk with God. We have a boss that just, when's the last time you and I bounded toward the voice of the shepherd and followed? And here's the last thought. Psalm 23 is very interesting. In the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me. He. You know what the last half of Psalm 23 does? That impersonal pronoun becomes very personal. And it happens in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, not he, you are with me. Listen, church, where there are shadows, there is what? Light. We are not ever alone. And, and the psalm there in verse 4 doesn't say, and though I walk through the valley of the, though I walk in the shadow of death, I die there. It's not what it says. We walk through. If you are His today, if you are His today, you will be called out His own and He's going to lead you and I all the way to our eternal destiny. And it's not going to have anything to do with you and I holding on to that. It's going to have everything to do with Him holding on to us. And we'll see that twice in John 10. We are in the Father's hands and we are in Jesus' hands. And nobody can take us out of that. Is that not beautiful? This teaching. Such a contrast from John 9 to how Jesus saying, let me tell you what true shepherding looks like. I'm that. I'm the fulfillment of Scripture, so therefore I'm the door in which you must enter. I'm the door. All right, let's pray.